peoples of the worldwide federated internet. What's good? As I do so often, I'm going to share some inside baseball with you, inside scoop behind the scenes of my podcast. I have spent a lot of time with the audio setup on my desktop setup, the video production, uh, the different things that, that I've put together to make this podcast as good as I possibly can. It's not perfect. Um, I don't have any, you know, major studio quality stuff. I'm not putting out a podcast that can rival any professional setup, but I put some time into it. I want it to be good, right? So I put some time into it, man, traveling and using my mobile setup. It actually kind of excited me a little bit because I realized how much I enjoyed putting my desktop setup together, the different pains I went through, all of those who have followed me from the beginning. You remember my audio on those first couple of podcasts was terrible and months of working, watching videos, seeing how other people do podcasts, the different things I could do that were inexpensive to make my podcast just a little better because I realized if you like watching the videos, if the video quality is is at a bare minimum decent, which I think my video quality is decent, it's nothing special, nothing to write home about. But as it's gotten better over time, it kind of makes it easier to watch. It's easier on the eye. And in the same vein, when the audio is good, it makes the podcast so much easier to listen to. Now, I realize that from a fan perspective, because when I listen to the different podcasters that I follow, I what I begin to learn is one of the enjoyable things about these podcasts is their audio setup was good. Good enough that when I listen, I enjoyed listening and it wasn't harsh on my ear. Now, my audio setup isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's it's at least decent enough that when you listen, you can at least enjoy what you're listening to. But get my 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 traveling setup together, my my mobile podcast studio, so to speak, setup. Actually, kind of exciting. Just you know, getting that all set up, finding out a way to do this as efficient as possible without taking a bunch of gear with me when I travel. Pretty nice. No, that was all inside baseball, and we are getting back to the Gospel of John chapter 20 and we're starting off on verse 19 let's get into this then the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the jews came jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them peace be unto you so they were definitely afraid. They saw what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They don't know that he's been raised from the dead. They don't really understand a full concept of what he was going to do. So I understand the fear that they have. And notice when the Lord Jesus Christ shows up, he knows what's in their heart. He has, you know, he knows exactly what's going on. He doesn't address or attack their fear. You notice that first thing he, he does, they, they are in a room. The room is locked. They, the doors are shut. They're not trying to get caught up. They're not trying to get crucified. And the first thing he says is, peace be unto you. He gives them assurance. That's one of the first things that happens. Another thing, things that I'm thinking about. So clearly Satan didn't understand everything that was happening. And I think we do a lot of things, right? There's this, this, this misconception about Satan, several misconceptions. And I'm just going on what the Bible says about him. I'm not all knowing God is all knowing, right? The Bible says that, uh, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So the devil is not all knowing. Right. That's why he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. He's trying to sift through everything going on. He's putting feelers out. He's trying to see who's weak, who's strong, the different strengths and weaknesses of different saints. How can he attack these people? How can he uh, uh, consume these people and wrap these people up in whatever his plan is, whatever that may be? And another thing is. We, again, assuming we ascribe, so I'm trying to figure out how to word this. That's why I'm tripping up over my words. We ascribe the attributes of God to the devil. And, and that's that idea and that concept is misplaced. There's a, a good friend of mine. We had to talk about this when I was in Texas. People equivocate the devil with God. God has no e equivalent, Right. The, the, the evil of the devil is not in direct competition with the goodness of God, so to speak, if that makes sense, if I conveyed that correctly, right? This is not, this is not an even battle between good and evil. God is all powerful. God is in control. What God has set out is going to happen. God knows the beginning from the ending. Nothing surprises God. The devil is trying to figure out what's going on. The devil probed the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the devil placed these evil things in the heart of Judas and the chief priests and all the religious rulers at the time. Now, here's my question. Why did not the devil place it in the heart of the, the ruling class at the time religiously to immediately proceeding the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ go after the disciples. You would think having the knowledge that we have, that would have been the next logical move, right? But see, I don't think the devil understands everything that's going on, right? I think that the, the perception is that at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, aha, I got it. That's the end of this. This is dead and gone. All of these beliefs and these doctrines are going to end with that crucifixion. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying just thinking to myself logically, if, if I'm Satan, 
I'm coming directly after the disciples, right after the crucifixion, even during the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, unless I have no idea what is going to happen next. And I have no idea what that crucifixion really represents. And verse, uh, verse 20, yeah, verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. So he, he verified himself to them. They saw the scars in his hand. They saw, you know, the, the, the pierced side. So they know, oh, this is the Lord. So this is for them a euphoric moment, right? All of them probably heard what Mary said. And a lot of them probably didn't believe can you really blame them? Right. They're probably thinking, nah, she was on something. We don't believe her. But now he shows up. They've locked themselves in his room. He shows up. Peace be unto you. They see the marks on his hand, the pierced side, and they're like, oh, snap. Right. So now they're glad. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. He repeated himself, peace be unto you. And he's like, just like the father sent me, I'm sending you. What all, what all does that encapsulate? We saw that, that the Lord Jesus Christ came in the spirit of God and in power, right? So is he telling them, I'm sending you with the spirit and I'm sending you in power into the world the same way I was sent into the world. I'm sending you out the same way. Is that what he's saying in the book of Matthew chapter 10? I'm trying to look to my notes, finding my notes where I got it. Yeah. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. The Bible says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. If you think about how the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, just, just think to yourself some of the things that the Lord Jesus Christ said, right? Remember when he said, I came to minister, not to be ministered to, right? The Lord Jesus Christ came for people. He came to serve people. And he's telling the disciples, how I was sent into the world the same way I'm sending you into the world. Now, when you think about that with the, the two greatest commandments, remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was asked about the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself on the law and the prophets rest. The, the law and the prophets rest on those two, Right everything covered in the old Testament law, the do's and don'ts and all those things hinged on those two commandments. And those two commandments are about you loving God and about you loving your neighbor as yourself. They're not about you. They're about you loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So doing others good. Right. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that's all that's encapsulated in what he just told them. And I'm not 
necessarily saying that's exactly what he's addressing because I haven't, I haven't really digested these verses fully yet, so to speak. I kind of been, you know, as I was reading this today, I was like, huh, there's a couple ways I can see this, but it doesn't matter how I can see it. What matters is what is this saying? And I haven't really digested all that yet. I'm comfortable not knowing. One of the greatest things about studying your Bible and one of the greatest ways to study your Bible, in my opinion, is to be comfortable not knowing and willing to learn. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, it's very important when you read stuff like this to not make, not build doctrine around this instant. And what I mean by that is if we were to build doctrine around this instant, we go breathing on people and telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. And, and clearly this is not you you shouldn't you shouldn't get that from this. You shouldn't get that we're gonna go breathe on people and give them the Holy Spirit. Right? And you can see that if you look in the book of in the book of Galatians, and this really this is just a side note because I think this has done a lot. People read things and they build doctrine on something that wasn't necessarily place there for you to build doctrine around the book of Galatians chapter three, verses one through three. O foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you that ye that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only would I learn of you receive ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So he's asking them, right? We're talking about receiving the spirit, right? And he's in, in a way, Paul is kind of not not mocking, but he is he is um, there's like a, a hint of, of not necessarily sarcasm, but he's kind of getting at the Galatians like, yo, I brought you the truth. Now, all of a sudden you're bewitched and now you believe in that that you so you receive the, the spirit of God by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith. So we see they receive the spirit of God and how they receive it. By the hearing of faith. So they believed and then received the spirit of God. Are ye so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Right. So in this instant, if, if we were to build upon what was said in the book of John chapter 20. Right. If, if we tried to build the idea that, oh, we're going to breathe on people and they're going to receive the spirit then this verse wouldn't make sense, right? Because the apostle Paul is telling them, how did you receive the spirit of God? Did you receive it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? You believed and then you received. So anyway, that's kind of a side note, but I think it's good when you read your Bible to kind of think through these things. How do you build doctrine? How do you rightly divide the word of truth? How do you build upon what was said? Do we take things like this and do we say, okay, now this is how you receive the spirit of God. Is that what you get from this? And if that is what you got from that, you probably need to back up, read it again, compare the Bible with the Bible. I, I always say compare the Bible with the Bible, not somebody else's thoughts, not what somebody else said. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I listen to a lot of people. I read behind a lot of people, some wise people, but my doctrine and the things I believe is based on comparing the Bible with other things in the Bible and taking the Bible as a whole complete book. Uh, 
Whoso, uh, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are attained. Not going to lie to you. I know this is probably very simple. And there's probably some smart theologians out there that have a great explanation. Like this is exactly why this, why this was said. I'm still chewing on that. So I'm not going to offer too much commentary on that. I'm going to move forward. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of nails and put my fingers into the print of nails and thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. Notice what, what Thomas said. He didn't say, I find this hard to believe. He's being very emphatic. Unless I can see those marks, put my hands in them and touch and feel what's going on. I will not believe. Verse 26. And after eight days, eight days have passed. Sidebar, a couple things you can kind of take from this. You ever, you ever meet people that want something from God? Let's say they're struggling with something. They have a prayer. They've asked about something. It doesn't happen right away. They don't get an answer right away. And the first thing they go to is to uh, uh, to bring some accusation against God, to blame God when they don't get an answer right away. It will behoove you to actually read your Bible and actually see exactly how God operates when dealing with people before you make assumptions. Like if I pray something, I must get a resolution to this immediately. You, you don't, you don't find that, that you don't find that, that rule set in the Bible. You don't find an obligation God has placed where you ask something and it's done immediately, right? Eight days have passed since this happened. And after eight days, the disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing the Lord Jesus Christ meeting Thomas exactly where he's at. Thomas had his doubts and his doubts, you can, you can get on Thomas. You can say whatever you want to say about him, but his doubts weren't necessarily unreasonable, right? So he just wants to, he, he wants to see. So I'm not going to criticize Thomas for wanting to see, even though we do have the saying of doubt in Thomas. Then Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God, I have a question. I've said this throughout going through this whole chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ, a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. What did Thomas just say directly to the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, my Lord and my God. They knew who they were talking to. Hey, do you see anywhere where the Lord Jesus Christ corrects him? Just saying. 
Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That's me and you. We haven't seen the Lord Jesus Christ. We received the testimony and we have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Here is the reason these things are written, that ye might believe that Jesus Christ, the son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. It's recorded. This is why this is written. A lot of things revealed in the gospel of, in the gospel of John. A lot of simple things. A lot of complicated things, a lot of things that would correct a lot of false doctrine. Again, there's many things I'm, I'm, I still don't know. And there's some verses that I've gone over and I'm still, you know, kind of chewing on, thinking about a little bit more. And again, I don't have any problem with not knowing a lot of things I don't know. I'm not all knowing and I'm not perfect in my knowledge, but I will tell you. If you have talked with anybody that struggles with the with the biblical idea, because it is biblical, it's clearly in here that the Lord Jesus Christ is 100 percent man and 100 percent God. If you know anyone who struggles with that, I would say. The probably the best thing to do is to sit down, read through the gospel of John with this person and just have some discussions. And I, I'm I'm confident that they will see this truth throughout the gospel of John. Now, whether they will accept the truth, that's a whole different thing. They might see it and not accept it. That happens to many people. Y'all know what it is. Stay frosty people.